Julia Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, To the Edge, a conversation with Lauren Steinlogge and Angela Knuth, is brought to you by Yetter Manufacturing. I encourage you to subscribe to the series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. With a tradition of providing farmers solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. West Union, Iowa no-tiller Lauren Steinlogge has developed a reputation as being both a highly innovative and a highly sociable farmer. He's a frequent speaker at ag meetings and conferences and says that one of his favorite things to do is just talk shop with other farmers. For this episode of the No-Till Farmer podcast and for occasional future episodes, we've paired Lauren up with a no-tiller he's never met before and asked them to record their conversation. In this installment, we caught up to Lauren while he was on the road and scheduled to be a featured speaker at the 2020 Nebraska Cover Crop and Soil Health Conference near Meade, Nebraska. Just before the conference got underway, Lauren met with Angela Knuth, who's been no-tilling and strip-tilling in Meade with her family since 2005. Listen in as Lauren and Angela discuss the challenges of transitioning land to no-till organic production, how the Knuths were affected by the 2019 floods, incorporating grazing for non-livestock owners, how they're both getting their kids involved in their operations and developing succession plans, and much more. Here are Lauren Steinlogge and Angela Knuth. Uh, good afternoon, Lauren Steinlogge here with Flolo Farms again on the road. Taking it to the edge. My guest today is Angela Knuth. If you would want to go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little about your operation. I'm Angela Knuth. I farm with my husband, uh, Carrie Knuth, and two sons, Gregory and Garrison, 22 and 20. Uh, we're in Mead, Nebraska, and we're mainly corn soybean, but we have introduced wheat uh, in 2013, and uh, we're transitioning acres into organic 2020 we should meet certification so what is driving that decision it makes economic sense for me personally it's the soil health and the benefits of that type of farming versus what we've been doing in the past well it's just kind of neat because i'm currently we're testing some organic theories and all that so i'm really intrigued there's a lot more and more people starting to think about organics and what what is the path you are choosing to pursue organics so the acres that should be certified in 2020 we started with alfalfa it seemed like the easiest route to go because of the multiple cuttings that that would help with the weed pressure. The baling part <laughs> was uh, intense, but we had dealing with baling since we started the wheat in the rotation because we bale uh, small squares and large rounds and sell those in small squares in Omaha and uh, large rounds to farmers around the area. So dairy quality alfalfa or horse quality? Uh, we're just happy to get it. Baled? <laughs> <laughs> Well, at one point in my life, I was running custom baling and uh, yeah. had a big square baler, ran about 13,000 bales a year. 
I, I, I did too. In that. a high humid environment, that's entertaining. Yeah. So I fully understand. It's not as easy as the textbook would say. Yeah, we did. We did do some small squares for a horse uh, guy in Omaha, um, and the coloring for some reason, what, whatever we did, the coloring uh, faded on the bales, and so we had to compensate for that. But he's ready to work with us again next year, so it's a learning experience, but it um, helped us get through the transition. Smooth. So after the alfalfa, then what is your plan? Well, we talked to Rick Clark. He told us that he has planted straight into standing alfalfa, and then when uh, the corn's at V1, V2, he shreds that off and uses that as the mulch for weed suppression. And um, we're mostly irrigated on the field, so we plan on trying that route. We're scared as you know what. That's kind of similar to what we did. We, you know, the practice we settled on this year is we shredded at emergence, and then we're working on the in row roller. So yep. two passes of the in row roller, and we had pretty decent corn. Okay, so yeah, that's the second part. So we had Adam Chapel come up. Yep. Uh, I met him, um, and he was coming to Kansas. So I asked him to come on up, and we had a our family business meeting and invited him and he told us about the rollers and yeah yeah uh, so that's our um that's the other half of the experiment with this is to try to if we have that that pressure where the alfalfa looks like it's causing problems to have that option to go in with those rollers yeah and well like last year we were testing uh romo and stuff like that so we're, we're still working on that, but the it sounds like the in-row roller is kind of, you know, it's the quick and easy, it's going to be the simple, cheap, fast option. It, it's a proven concept. The biggest thing is to make sure the bearings don't wrap and stuff like that. Right. But uh, after corn and that part of the rotation, then what would you envision going to then? I'm guessing a small grain would be a good option. Again, uh, worried about weeds. And so we're looking into um, some specialty markets for that. I mean, we could go with wheat, which we're very comfortable with. Um, we're talking to a company about producing oats for the product. They make milk that's made out of oats instead of the tra- traditional. So those those things, we're still looking for markets. With your proximity to Omaha, are you look, do you have malt breweries around here or like microbrews or yeah yes um and you're correct we should be searching those yeah, out that, that's one of the avenues we've been pursuing trying to work with uh, malters and actually when i was in spain this past week we seen a very neat, unique operation that uh everything on the farm meets in the brewery including hops and barley and they basically don't bring anything in and they're selling finished beer Wow. And they've got their own hops plant. They dry the hops. They've got their own barley fields. They have their own malter. And pretty unique operation. I uh, went to a meeting uh, last week uh, through UNL, and it's uh, it's sourced locally. So I'm trying to get into that avenue. And it was interesting because it was like somebody needs to connect the dots because there's people in the city and there's the people that want to do the produce, but they're looking for land base and they're also not, you know, doing the barleys and things or the hops. We have the land base. um, Need manpower. We just, the manpower and we need, we need the dot connection so that uh, we can find a market for it. Because how, how far are you from Omaha for reference? 30, uh, 30 miles? Yeah, somewhere. 20, 30 yeah, miles. it's nothing. And then Lincoln's just down the road from us. Yep. This is a really good place to be in, in Nebraska for the, for specialty. And it's flat. <laughs> yep, for the most part, yeah. <laughs> 
So, okay, you went to alfalfa corn to small grain. What then? Follow up with the soybean or? Well, if Kerry has his way, I'm sure we will be. Or back to corn. He's, I guess I'm more on the soil health side and he's he's our, you know, uh, chief financial officer. That's his mind, mind uh, said. I think once we get into uh, a few more years of this and we start seeing the benefits in the soil, he sees that. Hopefully that will. Because uh, what, what are your current practices? Okay, so in 2005, we did move from um, tillage to strip till. And um, we've done that till this past 2019. We've done some no-till in corn. We've been no-till in beans for quite some time. I couldn't tell you exactly the year, but... Um, so 2019 was rough with all the weather. So we just went no-till everything and it planted beautifully. So we sold our strip-till machine this winter. Because uh, everybody knows about the floods out in this area. How far did you have any fields affected by all the flooding? And we had two fields uh, that we had to take prevent plant on and that ne that's never happened. So what we did then is we finally got in in August and we had to shred it down twice. The the weeds were probably about 12 feet tall. <laughs> Shredded it down twice, and then we worked with the university uh, and on a oats grazing study. And we did a three-way mix with that, and um, it, it didn't work. The oats got uh, some sort of um, scab disease or probably something. Probably rust. Or... Rust, yeah. So it, it didn't work out as great as they had hoped, uh, but nobody had good. Do you have your own livestock then, or do you work with somebody on the livestock? End of it for... uh, mainly it's been mostly with the university and because their their cattle are just uh, five miles down the road from us so in the future I'd like to work with them on doing uh, the mob grazing or the you know Intense. And that, that's something I've been working on the last five years with our inner city and in that I've offered free grazing to date I can't get any takers because nobody wants to take time and effort to put the fence in exactly and, you know, even though there's cost share programs that would help pay for fencing and stuff, nobody wants to take the time and effort. And yeah, and that's so. Hopefully, with the university, uh, they they do take care of that part. But hopefully, we could like work on that that side of it. You know, get people to understand what's out there as far as what what is, what does it take to do that moving the fence every day kind of the network to to help put two and two together for this people like us that don't have livestock but have the good grazing opportunity the university of lincoln has put together a website where you can post um your acres that you want grazed or if you have cattle and you're looking for acres i'm not sure how well that's going and i have to be careful uh what i put on there or everybody has to be careful because if something doesn't work out um what happens then mm -hmm. so it's a little nerve-wracking on that so but we were contemplating this fall because we, we want to get some manure on our ground. It needs it. We were contemplating a bunning spreader. Do you know how much those cost? <laughs> so we were looking at that because we could get some free manure. But it's expensive. And it's like, well, wouldn't it be better if we put cover crops on our ground and grazed it intensely? That would be a lot cheaper and have the same effect. Direct deposit. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it sounds like we're tackling some of the same issues. It, it's just I have the little caveat that I can't be around livestock. So, yeah. you know, when, when I tell people I, I will not be uh, looking over their shoulder, I mean it. Yeah. Now, if you want to graze my field, go ahead and graze it. You know, it, it's like right now, you know, we're getting manure spread on most of our acres. And to some days that's almost a lot of headaches. 
because you know if you're going to spread out my fields all i care is you go straight back and forth well i don't want to have to worry about cleaning the driveways and all that stuff and just take care of it figure it out let's go yeah as far as the you know what the situation is out in the field around here they'll spread the liquid manure and i mean for the most part they try when it's frozen but it's just kind of not very clean yeah and you know that that's to get the like-minded person is the challenge and you know that that's one of the things we've been trying to advocate here for a while so i guess next question what was your turning point when you started making some of these decisions what kind of drove you when I first came aboard here, when I married the, the, my boss, <laughs> I kind of I noticed that they were definitely into more of the machinery side of farming and you know the, the task at hand. And I kind of leaned more towards the agronomy. I do not have an agronomy degree, but I started out going out and scouting fields, and that's kind of where I ended up. And plus, um, there was no computers on the farm at the time, so kind of moved into the precision side of it to fit in and uh, to give more information about. So um, I've been doing that for a while, a lot of scouting, and I've noticed that the weeds don't die. I mean, you have to get them when they're an inch or so, or, and we're spending a lot of money, and we keep adding more chemicals. And now you're brave enough to go organic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's like, what are we thinking? <laughs> so I wanted to try the covers because to me that made all the sense in the world. And then I had the opportunity with the university to do, to do a grazing study trial. And that kind of got our feet wet with help. You know, it wasn't us on our own. Um, As you're changing your practices, are you noticing less weed pressure now that you've been implementing some of this stuff? More so with the wheat, because we haven't been consistent with the cover crops. And I think that's, a, as you know, it, that's a very important key. But just a little rotational benefit. Oh, yeah. Um, weed suppression with wheat. And also, we always get a yield bump. And you're breaking the cycles. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep, I think, unfortunately, uh, it takes more than, you know, one season. And that's the caveat for a lot of people. Yep. It's got to happen now. And it's, it, nature's not that way. Look, always looking ahead. So what's the best thing about the transition as you're evolving? Nothing yet. <laughs> you're, you're, no, you've, you're noticing a few things. I was oh, that, yeah. That's it, keeping you moving forward. I mean. Yeah. Well, when we planted into uh, the standing rye, that was an eye opener. Um, so uh, the first season it rained. When we wanted, it was warm, it rained, wanted to get in there. And uh, that was the first field we could plant because it took in the rain. And mm -hmm. then, and it, you know, it was kind of wet yet, but it was so crumbly. It was just interesting. And so we planted right into it. And it was just a like cutting butter with a butter knife. And uh, I really liked behind the wheels how it laid it down. I'm like, if we could do that across the whole field, there's your natural you know weed suppressor yeah. right there so yeah and I, I saw in the message we got involved in the other day you met eric falcon mm -hmm. there he he's got the new dawn zrx roller he's going to be running that this spring and the burns brothers are going to be running one too one one thing i heard with the rollers and that's why i prefer to try the in the row ones is because of you know the variation in your elevation or soil just yep. it doesn't well, that that's that's why I've been working on that the last how many years? I'm I'm further north, so we'll probably never get the big biomass covers to plant into. And you know, our theory is plant one fit, roll one fit, 
or when the when the crop determines you need to be rolling on that so that, that's why we've been focused on the in-row roller here and you know between that and the romo building options and you know that that's the way a guy has to start thinking about it same as a herbicide guy you know we did need different modes of action mm-hmm. at least one yeah well <laughs> excuse me more than one you know the the biggest thing we've learned the last three four years in testing is always have a backup plan you know because just in case you get in the field and this ain't quite working the way you want it you got to have something lined up so you know that one's going to work and once you got six foot tall cereal rye out there, a row crop cultivator just ain't going to handle it. <laughs> That's yeah, that would be a problem. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I I always go back to the first year I when I started playing with the in row mindset. You know, I had a vision of what it was going to take. Well, Joe happened to come out that spring, and we were testing something, looking at other stuff. And I was like, well, let's hop in, and let's go see what this does. You know, granted, the cereal rye was only about that tall. Yeah. But pulled in the field and I could just see it wasn't going to, you know, it wasn't working the way I had envisioned it in my mind. So I just, I pulled the plug, you know, we went to plan B on everything. Well, Mother Nature said, that's not a good idea. You know, so all of a sudden we had cereal rye here coming back and non-GMO corn. And next thing you know, we had six foot tall cereal rye and a foot tall corn. Ouch. And then it decides to go flat. The cereal rye did. The cereal rye did. And you lay awake at night with about 200 acres. It'll kind of get your attention. Well, about 2 o'clock in the morning that time, it hit me. I had the right parts and pieces. I just had them bolted on wrong. So I got up. I went out in the shop. Six hours later, the drill rolled out of the shop, ready to roll. We went out and saved 200 acres and... Ultimately, I should have had seed in the drill. We could have rolled the cover crop at the same time. That's where we're at now. But, you know, that day I was just glad we were saving corn. You know, the next day I had to turn around and run it over again. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's having that foresight, looking ahead, how to solve the problem before it actually, you know, best way I can describe it is I want to have the answer before the question's asked. And a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah. You know, everybody laughs when I'm in the tractor. I can be in kind of a third world by myself, but I'm always trying to look at little things, trying to figure out what can go wrong here. If it goes wrong, what can I do? Right. And that's the kind of the mindset I see going forward. A lot of us are going to have to kind of have in our mind. And, right. you know, but that's that's also why I'm working with Don now, trying to figure out how to help other people avoid some of the curveballs we've faced so yeah or at least uh, um, make sure that there that you have the ideas of what options are available because that's not always like you said it's just not always um, I've, I've taken a track tractor and drove track for track before so that's always a backup plan <laughs> <laughs> but your end rows are going to look like heck uh, they do half the time anyway but um but, uh, so we we did um we had kind of a fluke with the cereal right it was only on 30 acres but we um we sprayed the cereal rye with a herbicide, but it had nitrogen in it, and then it rained for a week and a half afterwards. Um, yeah, that was bad. That's educational. Yeah, it was on strips. So we had uh, strips with cereal and strips without. So it wasn't a total loss, but yeah, it was educational. <laughs> so your your strips were in between the corn rows or um, so check strips? Checks, uh, so we had strips with cereal rye, corn planted into cereal rye, no cereal rye with corn so like that and then we were bailing some of it out in the fall then uh, it's just a, a study we're doing with the soil health partnership and yeah the strips with cereal rye the corn was smaller uh, yielded a lot less and we know now not to do that again 
What would you change next time? Uh, don't put nitrogen with your herbicide. What, then was that Roundup or Gravoxone or? Roundup, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's a simple yeah. fix, but um, that's the first time it really ever happened, but now we know, just don't do that. Yeah, and see, our, ours was pretty similar. We had, I think it was Gravoxone we had in that time. And it heats it up rather nice, but it's almost too quick, too hot. Yeah. And it doesn't translocate, you know, that we always laughed that year. Every time, if we needed rain, I just had to go spray that field because I guarantee you, it would get rained out. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, that, that's part of the fun. Yeah. Well, and we are changing our uh, fertilizer plan. We're moving because we um, have Y drops now. We're moving from broadcasting in the spring with the burn down to more of the Y drops. Y drops, single pass, double pass? Um, well, if uh, early, the season, late. yeah, if the season permits, we'd like to do a double. Uh, we have fertigated in the past and would like to rather do the Y drops. Uh, we've definitely seen benefits with them. I can put on dry bands, index to the row, but anymore what I prefer is I just take the sprayer and stream it. And I got it set, I can stream about five inches away from the row and it does wonders. Does wonders, and it's, it's so efficient. <laughs> you know, ninety foot versus thirty foot any day. I'll oh yeah, it. and that's so. We'll get back to Lauren Steinloggy and Angela Knuth in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Yetter Manufacturing, for supporting today's episode. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Now let's get back to Lauren and Angela as they talk about growing nitrogen with cover crops. What else do you foresee changing or needing tweaking in your system as you move forward? Oh, we have, I mean, we have a lot to learn. Uh, we've, with covers, we've only did like a, a three-way mix once. Would like to learn more about how we grow our own nitrogen. Thought it was very interesting. I just learned from uh, a fellow from Hastings, Jim Starr, about uh, brassics and their weed suppression. So we'd really like to work on those two elements because that's a huge expense, the fertilizer and yep. chemicals. So it's like, why wouldn't you want to know everything you could about how these covers can help alleviate that? No, the big, biggest thing with the brassicas, like the radish and the mustards and rape, be a little careful. You know, I don't know when you're planning on putting them on. You know, most of ours go on V4, V5. They can overpower. So, you know, unless you're going for the grazing option, you might want to hold back on the seeding rate. And a lot of times we'll go half pound at the most of radish and rape and maybe half pound of mustard or something like that. Because it, it can choke out the rest of your interseed mix or okay. something like that. So. Yeah. We, we have tried the radish. Uh, we actually, the university, again, had a uh, tracks versus tire study they needed. We yep. were the only wheat field in, in the area. So... They did the study and they just packed their, you know what, out of, because <laughs> they just kept going around in the same circle. And then plus they irrigated some parts. And um, so we came in with the tillage radish after that. And um, I have pictures you could see, I mean, we had trenches eight, 12 inches deep and the next season you could not see that in the bean field. I was amazed. Really so impressed. when were them applied then? That was, the study was done, I probably think uh, the second week in August, and so we came in right away. We have a little water stat and uh, seeded it with that as we went over it, and it worked 
perfect. The modern style, is that a disc drill or? It's a vertical tillage tool. Vertical tillage. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and it had its own cedar, so. Cedar, it, seed box right on. Yeah, so, so it was a one-pass type of thing and. Fix the problem and move on. So. Yeah, and it was, it, yeah, it was a really good lesson and um, it was neat because I had pentrometer, so I went in with that outside of the track and in the track and, and then we took measurements of the, the tillage radish itself and um, after, I think it was like three inches, it, you just didn't, there was no more compaction. So are you doing infiltration studies then too? I mean, the, the it sounds like you're pretty in depth on some of this. So. The university did. Okay. And I'm not sure if we actually did get those results, but um, yeah, they, they came out and took uh, infiltration and something else that I don't remember. <laughs> uh, bulk soil density probably, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. What would be some advice you would offer to somebody looking at changing practices, be it cover crops, the organic side? You got a pretty diverse base coming here, so... I would say it's more on uh, everybody has to be on board management-wise, and you all have to buy in. Otherwise, it's going to be a slower process than maybe it would have otherwise. That's for us. That's that's our history. Um, I think we would have been further along if if we all were on the same page <laughs> when we started out. So sometimes you got to prove a point though to get move forward. And- yeah. You know, and the further I get around, the more I realize how lucky I am. You know, my dad's one of my biggest supporters as we've evolved, and he's just always at open doors, and I walk through them, and pretty soon we just started making our own doors. And, you know, he got to the point, well, he was, he was never one for compliments. <laughs> yeah. And then I think it was 2000, I think 2015 or 16 when Jill Clapperton was there, had my farmer round table and he was one of the members and Jill asked him, you know, what do you think of what Lauren's doing? He's like, I got the best dang tenant I could ask for. And like, <laughs> Game on, let's go. Yep. That's, and, uh, that's not always, that's not yeah. always. And, well, as I get around, that's one of the biggest challenges I see in a lot of that conflict and getting the team, building the team is often more critical than the actual practice. Yeah. It's so much easier when, when everybody is moving toward the same goal. You said two of your children are in the operation. What's their position? I mean, do they buy into what you're doing now or? Yeah. At first, I think they thought that mom was weird. (laughs) Because I'm always out there uh, a little bit. I have different ideas, but, um, you know, I think that's healthy for an operation to have someone with a different take on it. We've had, we've started our, um, I wouldn't say transition, but we're starting to talk to them because they're young men now and we want their ideas. And so we're bringing the whole picture to them, uh, financial um, activities, you know, planning, and we want their input. And so and they- their response is? At first they didn't believe us, <laughs> but we kept coming back to them and say, no, we're having meetings and we're gonna talk about this. And uh, yes, what you think matters. And you just start from there. And they're, they're not um, into the heavy equipment, you know, all, let's go, let's get the best, uh, newest equipment, which is really a turnaround from our past. But they see where ag is right now. It's it's not that, you know, it's that's expensive to farm that way. Yep. So, uh, you know, that combination, I, I think of what's happening now and with the covers coming on in organic, the, the price you get for that, they see that that is probably the right move. It's not our comfort zone, but that's okay. So as you're producing the products like that, what are their friends in that, I guess? Are they feeling peer pressure? 
anything like that? No, I think they're young enough that um, the kids are, they're not kids, they're young men. Uh, they're pretty open-minded. Uh, I, I haven't heard anything that um, they're being ostracized or anything like that. So, uh, and actually they've been getting some questions because people know that we're going organic and uh, they've got peers that are asking them, why? Why are we diversifying? And how does, how does that work? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're like, we'll tell you when we find out. <laughs> well, like I said, that, that's some of the neat part about these conversations is, you know, back to that same day when Jill Clapperman was there, or my youngest daughter, that's when she kind of informed us that she was going to try to take over the farm eventually. And now the oldest daughter, she wants to be evolved a little bit. And I was dumb enough to one day to kind of lay out my vision. And for lack of better explanation, it scared the heck out of them. Oh, really? <laughs> You know, I, I knew better than to tell them what, you know, but I, I try to also tell them that, you know, th- this is my vision. There's a big enough vision here. You can pick and choose parts and pieces of it. You know, I want to shoot high. So there, you know, there is little places each one of them can fit in. Yeah. And uh, we're getting there. Both girls have a animal science degree now. Oh, nice. And uh, so that hopefully they can bring that component. But, you know, that's why I'm looking at stepping out of that. You know, everybody's like, at your age, you're looking at stepping away. And it's like, well, my dad did it for me. You know, if that's what it takes to move the operation forward. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Um, Where they're at at this age, they've got new, fresh ideas that should be introduced because it is their future. I mean, we're not too far away. I mean, We've got a few years, but we're we're waning. They're waxing. Yep. And so let's let's have a conversation so that that can mix together because it is their future, and we want to help them succeed. So they're fully involved in the operation. I see all the trucks around running. We have or... we have a nice mix. Uh, our oldest one, Gregory, uh, went to um, diesel mechanics, so he's out in the shop a lot, doing a lot of our maintenance. And Garrison, our youngest, is uh, finishing his, he went to uh, accounting at Metro in Omaha. And so he's working at a bank, helping us um, in the office as well as um, in the field activities. So nice blend. Yeah. Each one will have, kind of like you and your husband, sound like you each have your yeah. own forte, but now the kids. Yep. And kind of building that team out. So. Yeah. So it's actually, yeah, it's very nice that we want to get them up to speed as soon as possible because they they do have skills to offer yep. and as, as well as as it moves forward and we need to get to talking about transition, you know, state transitioning. They need to know more about the operation so they need know what they want out of it. Mm-hmm. So oh, with that, any parting words, I guess? With the cost, with so we farm and all of our money goes right out the door as soon as we get it or before we get it on inputs usually and equipment and interest it's like getting cover crops in organics makes all the sense in the world just do a plan and see what the costs are and maybe not in the first year but look down the road what it's going to do for you do you care to share the vision on some of the, the numbers on that or we're still working still on still working on um, that. but yeah we so we use uh, crabzilla have you heard of them familiar i guess yeah so um we've been using um uh, Farm Mobile is our, our telematics machine data. They collect it. Uh, we use Crabzilla to make um, pre-plans. And then we bring in, it, they work with Farm Mobile and they bring in the telematics. Crabzilla has all the expenses associated with equipment, people, and inputs. 
So we take that information, dump it in there for a field plan, and we get what it costs us per activity, you know, post-spray, pre-spray, planting, and then we rank our fields by a contribution margin and we're planning it out and organic looks really good compared to conventional and, and that's the numbers talking and that that it's neat that you're bringing the kids in and setting them down to make them realize that so that that's truly unique when when you get around and talk to other people not many people are as nearly as transparent so i commend you uh um, it's it's just a, makes all the sense in the world it's like um we've been farming for nothing for a while so it's time to Time to make some well, money. I have a beautiful operation here, and I'm sitting here drooling over the shop. Yeah, so. I know. We'll have to probably take a look at that. I know because you, you manufacture a lot yourself. I'm so, well, with that, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to us. And, uh, again, Angela Knuth is at Mead, Nebraska. Mead, Nebraska. So thank you much, everybody. Thank you. Thanks to Lauren Steinlogge and Angel Knuth for sharing that conversation. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Yeter Manufacturing, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our no-till insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland no-tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening.